We are more polarized than ever, and I think there's a specific reason for that. The internet has made life more homogenous. The same attracts the same. Like equals like. No longer do you have to live in a community where you actually live. You can associate with those you agree with, and you never have to see or talk to the people you don't, unless you want to. We have even learned that social media algorithms themselves keep the views we don't want to see off of our feeds. But is that good? Or is this separation creating a pressure cooker that we eventually blow up in everybody's face. Only time will really tell. But today on Church Public, we learn that who you are is actually, well, who you are. The youths say, live your truth. You be you. The only catch here is there is an actual truth, and you actually have to live by that. You don't get to change it as much as you want to try. You don't get to tell gravity what to do. You don't get to change biology or reality or whatever to match this new fad you want to entertain. There actually is a truth. There actually is a God. And you are not in control of either. And while that may be difficult to hear for some, the fact is you should actually feel freer that you don't have to decide who or whose you are. To those searching for identity in a lost world, you can be found in Jesus if you will only follow him. For Church Public, I'm Matt Odegaard. Let's get started. Welcome back to Church Public. I really appreciate you coming by today. My name is Matt Odegaard, and I am your host here. We look at current events from a Christian perspective. I want to help you follow after Jesus and live in this public square, which more and more is becoming a crazy and almost impossible thing to do. You're going to have to make choices. You're going to have to make decisions as you walk out of that door and go into this world. Are you going to be like the world and fly under the radar and just be like everybody else, or are you going to live out your faith? You're going to have to make that choice, and you're going to have to make that choice sooner rather than later because this world will not allow you to remain silent any longer. They're going to ask. They're going to specifically ask you what you believe, and I want to help you with that, help you grow some courage, help you follow after Jesus, help you understand the things that you believe as you go down this journey. You don't have to believe everything I say. You don't have to believe anything that I say. In fact, I'm going to try to reference as much as I can the Bible, which is the Word of God, which is where truth comes from and how we know it. So I encourage you to open it up for yourself. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe a pastor. You don't have to believe a politician. You don't have to believe anybody. Who you should believe is God. Now, I've studied this for a long time, and there's a couple things that I know. So if you feel like listening, I really appreciate it. If you want to like this, if you want to subscribe to this, if this is helpful to you and you think it might be helpful to somebody else, please share it. Send it to somebody who is struggling with this because I want to help. I want to help you. I want to help others follow after Jesus and go out into this world and not become just like it. If that's interesting to you, keep going. If that offends you and you want to throw your phone out the window, I guess do that. At any rate, let's keep going. Okay, so we got a lot going on today, and today we're looking at the Prime Minister of Finland, who is in some controversy over leaked party videos. We'll get to that in a minute. We have a Florida Christian school hear that, a Florida Christian school that is in hot water because they're following, oh, the Bible, gasp. I know, it sounds terrifying. Anyway, we'll talk about that as well. And the leftist outlet, The Atlantic, actually prints something that I agree with, which is surprising, but we're going to talk about that. And of course, we're looking at all of these current events from a Christian perspective, because that's what we do at Church Public. But before we get to these stories, let's go to Minnesota to hear about who and how they're letting teachers go, because this is kind of a crazy story, and I feel like we need to talk about it. So 
This comes uh, from the Alpha News. It says that a Minneapolis teachers union is stipulating that white teachers be laid off before, quote, educators of color, end quote, allegedly to remedy the continuing effects of past discrimination by the district. Minneapolis Public Schools, MPS, have seen a massive drop off in student enrollment. I wonder why. Leading to layoffs of teachers with little seniority, something that is typical within the teaching profession. But the MFT, Minneapolis Federation of Teachers, Teachers Union, is opting for more racial standards before seniority to guarantee, quote, educators of color. And this is according to Alpha News. So they say, quote, starting with the spring 2023 budget tie out cycle, which apparently is how they decide if you get to stay being a teacher or if you don't. A teacher who is a member of the population underrepresented among licensed teachers, the district shall access the next least senior teacher who is not a member of an unrepresented population. Uh, I'll keep going on this and then we'll explain what all of these words mean. Uh, teachers of color may be exempted from district-wide layoffs outside seniority order, the agreement says, adding underrepresented populations will be prioritized over white teachers, according to Alpha News. In other words, the underrepresented or minority teachers or whatever will not get fired, whereas the white teachers will get fired. The district went on to say, to remedy the continuing effects of past discrimination, the past discrimination has to apparently now have current discrimination, which brings to mind our old friend Ibram X. Kendi, who said, past discrimination, basically, this is my paraphrase, but you can go read it in his book, um, How to Be Anti- um, how to be anti-racist, how to be an anti-racist. Go and read that book if you want to. Um, he says, essentially, in order to deal with past discrimination, you have to do present discrimination. And in order to protect from future discrimination, you have to do present discrimination. That's what he says. That's pretty much what this is saying too. So this is probably illegal, but I'm not an expert in that. It just seems like a problem. The um, Minneapolis public school system said, quote, this can be a national model and schools in other states are looking to emulate what we did, says Barlow, a band teacher at Antoine and Watton, sorry, middle school and a member of the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers Executive Board. Uh, am I going to read any more of this? I'm not going to read any more of this. I'm just going to say from a moral perspective, from a Christian perspective, we have to understand that two wrongs don't make a right. There may well be less underrepresented people in the Minneapolis school system. That may be true. I don't know. I didn't check. But to discriminate specifically on somebody's skin color is actually very, very racist, regardless of what that skin color is. We should all be able to agree on that, and yet for some reason... If it's going in one direction, I guess it's okay. This is a problem, and this tears the fabric of society and creates more rifts in community. It doesn't heal anything. If your goal is to repair whatever discrimination by causing discrimination intentionally through, this is, I mean, it's basically, it's not legislation per se, because it's not a law, but it is codified through the guideline, the practice of this particular school system, which is a government school system. So 
it's pretty close to a law, right? I mean, if you're going to codify in specifically a process to specifically aim at a certain skin color, that feels pretty racist to me. At any rate, this is a problem and it tears apart relationships. One of the things that I constantly am aiming towards is repairing relationships, growing relationships, building relationships. To do that, sure, yes, you need to find common ground. You need to have conversations. You need to have dialogues. But to exclude someone from the conversation, specifically on skin color, in any direction is wrong and immoral. Biblically, morally, spiritually, we all should be able to agree on that. We all should move towards that as we can. All right, I'm done with this story. Let's move on. So we're going to go to Finland. And truth be told, and, and full disclosure, I don't care about Finland. I really, I really don't. I'm not ever going to live there. Uh, you know, if I visit there, who knows? But we, but, but this is a great example. And, and so sometimes when I see examples in the news that we can grow and learn from and understand that apply to us and apply more broadly as a concept, I try to pull them out because we're looking at current events from a Christian perspective. And this has gotten a lot of media airplay for some strange reasons that we'll look at in a moment. So the prime minister of Finland, uh, a person named Sanna Marin, is in a little bit of trouble. Because apparently she was out partying. She's 30-something, late 30s. And someone posted the video of her and some friends on social media. Now, first, people have the right to blow off steam. Again, I don't really care about Finland. But this is a great example of two things that we're seeing across the globe. The first point is going to be political. And the second is going to be spiritual. First, from a political standpoint, if you are the prime minister or the leader or an elected official, you should act officially. There is now no separation between private and public life. I think we all understand that. At least we're all seeing it every day all over social media and the news. You don't get to act like an 18-year-old college student if you're the prime minister of a country. Even though this lady looks young, she's in her late 30s, and apparently she's married and also has a young child. This is just not the way to behave. And that's not just a prudish statement. And just for reference, let's see what's going on in this video. Okay, that's seriously all I can take of that. Anyway, if you're just watching, it's just this lady dancing around with a bunch of friends on social media. And the reality is we see videos like this all the time, every day, all over the place, because everybody is acting like this. But there is something different politically when you are the representative of anything, especially the representative of a country. You are then the representative of the country always. You don't get to take a break. You could go golfing or do other things. And don't get me wrong. I like to have fun. You can have fun. But you don't get to party like crazy with people who clearly are under some kind of substance and then say, well, I'm just young and I want to have fun. You, you, you are the leader of the country and you now are the example in word and deed for the entire country. That's just the reality of it. So what are you going to do? Are you going to act like a king or a queen or a prime minister or a leader or a representative or a whatever? I mean, or are you just going to act like a teen? This is where politically people just aren't serious. They aren't serious about politics. They aren't serious about how they act and they aren't serious about what they do unless, and here it comes, unless you get caught. And here's the deal. And here's what happened. Poor Santa got caught. And here is her response. Now, 
Her response is in Finnish, and my Finnish is so good. I'm going to translate. No, that's not true at all. Sorry, that was a lie. I don't know Finnish at all. There are subtitles, and I'm going to read the subtitles for you while she says this apology. But but here's the deal, and I and I, I I'm sorry if I'm making fun of her, but she signed up for this, and that's where we are, right? She signed up to be the prime minister of this country, so you have to take the office of the prime minister of the country. And we see this in congressmen and women. We see this in elected officials. We see it in sheriffs. We see it in school board officials. We see it in all of these areas, and you should live up to the office that you're in. I would go farther, and we'll talk in the spiritual part, that I think you actually should live your best always, but we'll talk about that in the spiritual part. We're still in the political part at this point. So here is her um, apology, and I'm going to play it for you, and I'm going to talk over the finish that she's saying and read the subtitles for you that are just listening and not watching. So here we go. She says, I am a human. Thank you for that. She goes on to say, and by the way, she's crying and I feel bad. But she says, during these dark times, I too need some joy and light and fun. She says, that involves all sorts of photos and videos, which I would not like to see. And she goes on to say, and which you would not like to see. And she says, it's private, it's joyful, and it's life. Uh, and then she goes on and talks about Ukraine. Uh, she says, I'm not missed a single day of work, a single task, and I never will. And then she goes on to talk about Ukraine, and I'm, I'm going to skip that part. But here's, here's the deal. Um, th- this is a political point, and we need to examine this political point, because she says that she is allowed to have a life. And I agree. She should be able to have a life, and she should be able to have fun. But that has a limit morally, what can and should you do from a biblical perspective? And it's hard for me to keep these inside, but Paul says anything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. That's an important lesson to understand and to learn. You can do whatever you want, but it does come with a cost. And that's what apparently this person and a lot of people, especially a lot of elected officials, just don't understand. They feel like they can live their lives in whatever way they want, with no consequences until, of course, they get caught. And then they say, well, I didn't want these videos to become public. And I would ask then, why did you do them? If you don't want something to happen, and you don't want someone to know that something happened, here is a really easy thing. This is going to blow your mind. Are you ready? Don't do it. I know. I know. That's not, it's too simple. It's too crazy. But just don't do the thing that you don't want people to find out you do. And then you don't do it, and then they won't find out because you didn't do it. Why this is is hard, I I don't know. Because we do things we don't want to do, sure. But this is the political point. It applies to a prime minister, it applies to a congressman or woman, a school board member. Whatever you're elected to, you represent the community and you have to act like it. This culture is just not serious. They think it's all just a game or a party or something, but you all know policies and laws affect real people. And sometimes they are even life and death issues. And I do like life and I like to have fun and I laugh a lot. But there are also points of life that you have to take seriously. And the job of running a country in any shape or form should be taken seriously. But really, here we get to the second point. And this is the more important point, And it is the spiritual point. I have no idea where Santa stands spiritually. 
So I can't judge her specifically, and I won't do that. This is just a general statement on why our culture has slipped into moral confusion. And you hear that from her apology. I probably did a terrible job reading it in uh, English, uh, but I can, I can read through a little bit of it again. Uh, really, the point is this. She is confused morally. And so many people that I see all over the place, the right and the left, it's not really specific, though more on the left, they don't understand morality and then they get caught doing something and don't understand why people are upset because they don't have a certain moral standard, but life does. This is where I get to the opening statement that I said. Live your truth may sound good. You be you may sound good, but the reality is there is a reality. There is a truth. There is a gravity. There is a God. And you can act however you want and pretend like none of that exists, but it does. And you see it and people see it and everyone sees it. And you can pretend that they don't, but eventually it will come back to you. Some people call this karma. Some people call it dharma. Other people call it all kinds of things. But the reality is it's just truth. Spiritually, it's just truth. There is true. There is good. There is evil. There are good actions. There are bad actions. And you are responsible for who you are. So I'm not calling her out specifically, but she's a good example of this idea. And take this apology. This apology is a really great example of a bad apology. And I hate picking on her, but this is just the reality of the case. The apology is emotional and she probably is really heartfelt in this, but she doesn't actually understand what is wrong. And so she doesn't actually apologize. She doesn't apologize for being wrong. She doesn't say that I was wrong and I should do something different. What she says is, I should be able to live my life and I want to have light and joy and blah, 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 whatever. Do you see the difference in that? She didn't say, oh, I was wrong, I'm sorry. She said, I should be able to live my life and the private life that I have shouldn't be public. But that's not the point. The spiritual point here, the spiritual part is integrity. You need to have integrity. She needs to have integrity. Everybody has, has to have integrity. And what does that mean? That means you are who you are wherever you are and whenever you are. This is the real definition that I would love to replace this UBU and live your truth with. That integrity is being real all of the time. Now, if she just wants to say, this is who I am, don't judge me, which is essentially what she said, okay. But she's in trouble from people and maybe even in government because she did things that were unbecoming of a government official and she's in trouble for it. And now she's apologizing because people are upset that she's doing things that aren't what she's supposed to be doing. That's integrity. Do the things you're supposed to do. And you don't even have to be a Christian to understand this or live this way because it just comes out in real life, as we see in this case. She's been in the news all over the place because she continues to act recklessly in her quote-unquote private life, but there is no private life in this new social media world. And she's proven that to be true. So the better example is just live with integrity. Do what you're supposed to do all of the time, even when no one is looking or you don't think anybody's looking. Just do the right thing. And then you don't have to worry about it. So you don't have to be a Christian, but, it, but being a Christian certainly provides a great foundation to stand on because then you know why you're doing what you're doing. Because otherwise, I get that this doesn't make sense at all. I get that, well, I just want to live my truth. I just want to do whatever I want to do, and I just want to live my life, and I want to party on the weekends. I guess that makes sense from a secular perspective, because why would you do anything else? But from a Christian perspective, you know that 
You are who you are and you need to be honest and true with that all of the time, not just when you're in your office or when you're at work or when you're in front of people at the podium. You have to do it in private and at home and everywhere as well. She clearly doesn't understand that as a lot of people apparently don't. She says of her actions, which are clearly unbecoming of a prime minister or anyone really, she says, quote, it's private, it's joyful, it's life. That's the problem. You are who you are. Whether anyone sees it, whether anyone doesn't see it, you are who you are. If you are doing things in private that you think no one sees, well, one day you will do them in public. And Jesus, talking about God, reminds us of this point in Matthew 6. Your father, God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Matthew 6, 4. You can't fool God. And really, you can't even fool yourself, even if you think you can. You can't. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Galatians 6, 7. Unfortunately, this is a bad example of how to live, and we should actually learn from it and do the opposite thing. Whether the door is open, whether the door is closed, at home or at work, wherever you go and whatever you do, know that you cannot hide from God, or in this case, the internet. All right, let's come back to America and go to a Florida school. So Florida school is in trouble for not being gay, I guess. I don't know what to say. So a religious school, a Christian school in Florida, says it will only refer to students by their sex assigned at birth, according to an NBC news story. While pupils who are gay, transgender, or gender nonconforming will be, quote, asked to leave the school immediately. NBC News obtained an email from Grace Christian School in Valerico, about 20 miles east of Tampa. The subject line of the email reads, Important school policy, point of emphasis, please read. The June 6th email to parents cited scripture and said students will be referred to, quote, by the gender on their birth certificates during the school year. It continues on saying, quote, we believe God created mankind in his image, male and female, sexually different, but with equal dignity. Therefore, continue on the email, one's biological sex must be affirmed and no attempts should be made to physically change, alter or disagree with one's biological gender, including but not limited to elective sex reassignment, transvestite, transgender, non-binary gender, fluid acts of conduct, Genesis 126 through 28. That's in the email. <clears throat> Students in school will be referred to by the gender on their birth certificate and will be referenced in name of the same fashion. It continues on. We believe any form of homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, transgender, self-identification, bestiality, incest, fornication, adultery, pornography are sinful in the sight of God and the church. Genesis 2.24, Leviticus 8, uh, sorry, Leviticus 18, Romans 1.26, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 6.9, 1 Thessalonians 4.2 and 7. Lots of great Bible verses to back these up, which you can, if you want to rewind and pause and listen to that and go and read them, please do. This is continuing on the email, then we'll talk about it. Students who are found participating in these lifestyles will be asked to leave the school immediately, the email said. So, why is this a big deal? Well, this is a big deal because people are upset by this. They think you be you. They think live your truth. They think you can be whomever you want to be. And this culture is saying that over and over and over again. This culture is teaching that. Social media is teaching children that you can be whomever you want. I've given you tons and tons of stories over the past. You can go and check them out at churchpublic.com or the videos at churchpublic.com slash podcast. You can go and see tons of videos where teachers are saying you be you and live your truth and you can be whatever gender you want to be. The school went on to say, while this policy is not new, it must be understood and accepted completely. The email said parents would, quote, have to agree to all policies and procedures before students start in August, which just happened. So 
Why is this a big deal? This is a big deal because the culture is saying it's bad that a Christian school is being, well, Christian and citing Bible verses and holding people to the verses that they claim to agree with when they go to school there. This seems like a no-brainer, and yet this is a huge story, apparently. This article from NBC goes on to say, the email was a factor in prompting the family of a 16-year-old girl who is gay and who was, and who was a student at the school, excuse me, to transfer her to another religious school that is more accepting. <clears throat> Listen to this part. Quote, it's not like my daughter goes around wearing rainbow flags or anything like that. The teenage mother said, quote, but I'm not going to have her feel ashamed of herself for any reason. End quote. This is part of the problem. And this is what we have to get to. This is part of the problem for culture. And it's part of the problem for parents more broadly. <clears throat> this is part of the problem because children should absolutely feel shame. So did you hear me on that? That probably sounded weird to your ears. Children should feel shame. I believe that to be the case. This is going to sound worse to you. Children are dumb. They are born that way. Children are not born known knowing anything, which is why we send them to school. Everybody knows this. Children go to school to learn how to be adults, to learn how to be effective members of society. Now, if you don't believe in religion, I guess you can teach them whatever evolutionary, Darwinistic, Machiavellian philosophy you want and have them follow that. I guess that's fine. I don't think it's best for them, but you can do that. On the other hand, if you think of a biblical value that gives us our morality, our faith, our values, you may want to teach your children in that way. This Christian school happens to want that. So what do we do? Which way do we provide? This is part of the problem for the culture. Children should be taught that they need to grow up. Any parent will tell you this, which is precisely why we need this good education to teach children actually how to be wise. None of us is born wise. You are foolish to think any differently. And part of the process of education is falling and failing and then getting back up. To eliminate failure, to eliminate shame, to eliminate responsibility from education period is to create basic idiots. I mean, those are harsh words, but this is just the reality of it. Do you want your kid to succeed? Do you want your kid to grow? Do you want your kid to become a functional adult? If you do, then you have to teach them. And the way to teach them is to give them a safety net, allow them to fail, to learn how to live life, allow them to experience the responsibility of not being successful, then pick them up, dust them off and say, I believe in you. You got this. Let's try it again. We do this with bike riding. We do this with skateboarding. We do this with walking for our little tiny children. It's the same thing with education. And yet we've tried to eliminate any sense of responsibility or failure or shame from the education process, which is just a terrible service to our children. Our children will fail in all kinds of areas, which is why they should be in an environment where it's okay to fail. Maybe it's even encouraged to fail and then get up and grow from it. So this is a thing that we need to have more of, not less of. If you consistently and constantly protect your child from any kind of failure or any kind of shame or any kind of responsibility, when that child is ready to leave your house, to leave your care, they will not be ready at all for what the world actually has for them. This I see over and over and over again 
in the young adults who just don't have any direction for their lives. And that is really sad. Call them to more responsibility, not less. Call them to more ways they can grow and get better, not less. Yes, we want to create an environment where it is safe to fail, but we can't create an environment where it is impossible to fail. That actually leads to more issues of depression and anxiety because if there is no space to fail at all, if they're not allowed to fail ever, they're going to be horribly anxious and depressed about actually failing, which they will do because we all do. Do you see the difference? This is something we've really got to get right and fix that we're not doing right. So then <clears throat> let's move to the other side of the school and the school not allowing people in that don't agree with their values. And my question is why? Why would the school allow people with other values in? Christianity has beliefs and morals and faith and values that come from this Bible. Why would you allow someone into that education environment that doesn't agree with these values? Would you expect a Muslim school to let an atheist in? Would you expect a Jewish school to let a Muslim in? None of these things make sense. Why would you bat an eye at a Christian school that doesn't want to let an unbeliever in? Okay, you're still angry at that. Fine. Let's turn it around the other way. The school is not saying you have to send your child there. The school is not saying you have to go there. In fact, this very article says that the... Uh, and according to them, this very article says the gay daughter is actually happier somewhere else. Great. Leave the Christians alone for once. More Christian schools need to take this example and put it into place. Christian schools, have standards. Live out your faith. Don't bow down to the cultural bullies that want to wreck your faith because they hate the God that you stand for. Be kind, but be bold and be courageous in what you believe. We need more, not less of this. And speaking of religion... Here is an interesting article from the other side of the aisle, but surprisingly with the same conclusion, more or less. So this article is from The Atlantic, and the article says, How Social Justice Became a New Religion. This is very interesting to me, <clears throat> personally. So uh, I'm going to read a little bit from this article by Helen Lewis in The Atlantic, How Social Justice Became a New Religion, because I think we need to understand more about this. And if you have followed this channel for any length in time, you know that I've said this exact same thing for years at this point. Social justice is a religion. It functions like a religion. It has all the trappings of religion. And for some reason, this writer of the Atlantic sees it now. And I think that's very interesting. And I think we need to pay attention to that. So I'm just going to read a couple of things from here and you can go read this article at the Atlantic. I gave you the title a couple of times, How Social Justice Became a New Religion. Um, I'm just going to read you a couple of quotes and we'll talk through them. <clears throat> they start with this quick question. If someone is yelling repent to you at the, in the street, are they more likely to be A, a religious preacher, or B, a left-wing activist? I think that's a really interesting question. And for many, they would have said, oh, well, it's totally a preacher who's yelling at you. But the reality is, and the answer in this article, the conclusion comes to, it depends where you are. In October, this article points out, a crowd gathered outside Netflix offices in L.A., were protesting Dave Chappelle's comedy special, The Closer, which contained a long riff criticizing transgender activists. So inevitably, there was a counter-protest, one fan holding a sign that read, We all like Dave. <laughs> this went over badly, the article says. Someone took the sign from him and ripped it up. Someone else shouted in his face, and here's the words. The man who liked Dave was urged to, quote, repent. Isn't that interesting? The word repent was used. 
The article goes on to say, this fire and brimstone language might initially seem odd because society is becoming less religious. I've given you this stat before, which the article relates to, that church membership is down below 50% for the first time in 2020 of all time, down uh, from 70% in 1999, just 20-something years earlier. They went on to say in this article, we might expect religious concepts, repentance, hellfire, heresy, apostasy would become less salient as a result, but that's not the case. I will interject here a quote from Chesterton, and Chesterton says, uh, more or less, this is a paraphrase, but, but you can go look up the quote, when you stop believing in God, you don't believe in nothing, you believe in anything, which is 100% true. If you don't believe in God, that is replaced by something. It doesn't just become a empty hole of nothing. It is a vacuum and things go in it. And as we see from this article that I've said before, and this writer in the Atlantic perceives, social justice is one of those things that fills in the hole. Let's go on just a little bit more in this article. We might expect, uh, okay, sorry, I read that part already. So um, for some activists, politics has usurped the role that religion used to play, right? Yes, it has as a source of meaning and purpose in our lives and a way to find a community. In the U.S., non-religious are, are younger and more liberal than the population as a whole. Perhaps then, it isn't a coincidence they're also in the group most likely to be involved in high-profile social justice blow-ups, blow-ups, particularly the type found on college campuses. Listen to this. They've substituted one religion for the other. Agree 100%. This is what it is. This new quote-unquote, state religion, political religion, whatever, is and has taken the place of actual religion. And we see that in the statistics. Statistics for organized religion, organized religious organizations, is down, 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 through the floor. But religion is still high and in charge. It's just a different one. A little bit more from this article. It says, quote, if you're isolated, reading and sharing political memes and commentary is one way to find like-minded people. Meanwhile, social media, dating apps encourage us to label ourselves so we can be instantly categorized by algorithms and advertisers. That's interesting, right? Many common social justice phrases have echoes of a catechism. Again, this is religious language. Announcing your pronouns or performing a land acknowledgement uh, just a quick note on that. Land acknowledgement is something like, well, I was born in America, but I recognize the Native Americans lived here first, so they own the land. Now, well, I'll note that I've heard that a lot. I have never heard somebody say, so I'm volunteering to give my house up to the Native Americans that lived here first. Never once have I heard that said. Anyway, let's continue. All right. So uh, pronouns, land acknowledgement shows allegiance to a common belief reassuring a group that everyone present shares the same values. But treating politics like a religion also makes it more emotionally volatile and more tribal because differences of opinion become matters of good and evil and more prone to outbreaks of moralizing and piety. My goodness, this is, I mean, again, if you've listened to me for any period of time, I think I've said these exact words, maybe in a different order. Piety, we talked about that the other day uh, when we were talking about the Puritans and we were, we were talking about how the Puritans got some things right and got other things wrong, in that piety should mean that you follow after God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. This changes it into a religious fervor where you do things 
strictly and structurally, religiously, to no end. And that can be bad. It can be good, but it also can be bad. I won't go into piety anymore because um, we're getting a little bit long at this point. But uh, interesting that this tribalization, this separation in between viewpoints, creates matters of morality of good and evil. This is what I've been saying for several months, if not years at this point, and something we need to pay attention to. This is why we cannot dialogue. This is why we can't talk to people. It's because they believe you have to agree or you are bad. It's not that we can have your idea and my idea and we can figure out which one is better and evaluate them, pros and cons list, rational talk. No, we're past that point in America. This is why it's so hard to have conversations because if you say something they disagree with, you are just a bad person morally. It is literally a battle of good versus evil. And this is where we get into all of these problems, trying to figure out, well, then how do we go through it? If you think I'm evil, how can I possibly overcome that? Because unfortunately, in this religion, one thing that is not in this article that I have mentioned over and over again, there is no forgiveness. If you have sinned, if you have committed the original sin, whatever they happen to deem that, you cannot get out of that. There is no forgiveness. There is no grace. There is no mercy. You are condemned. You are evil. And you must be banished from social media, from the public square, from your job, from your school, wherever. You don't get to be anymore. Um, there's this funny story of Ben Shapiro and this, um, and this podcast thing uh, where he went <clears throat> just on a whim. He was at another event and the Daily Wire had a, the Daily Wire had a booth there. And Ben Shapiro went, and if you don't know any of this, just listen to the story and maybe it'll make sense later or you can look it up. So anyway, he went and they issued this huge apology, the event organizer did, saying that Ben Shapiro was dangerous himself just by his presence being there, just by existing. He was dangerous. This is the language that they used in their apology to the other attendees of this event. So unpack that a little bit and you get to the same result here. You get to this religious result because if a person is dangerous just by being themselves, just by existing in a space, the only solution to them not being dangerous is for them to not be in the space and to not exist. That's where this language goes. That's where this religious language with no forgiveness goes. If I am evil just because I quote a Bible verse that you disagree with, if I am evil because I only allow Christians in my Christian school who believe in Christ, who follow the Bible, then I am evil, therefore I cannot exist. That's where this goes every time. It's not just one time socialism leads us to this. It's not just one time that these ideas about othering people lead to this. It's every time. And this is where we are. If you don't get on the boat, you're not on the boat. And therefore, you have to be cast to sea and you probably won't survive. This is the reality of the world that we're living in right now. And we have to understand this is the part of the world that we're in. So you have to decide, as I started with the beginning, will you go along with this world, try to skate by, try to pretend you're not political, try to say, well, it doesn't affect me. I'm just going to like slide under the radar. 
or will you stand up for your faith? Will you stand up for Christ? You're going to have to make a choice sooner or later because we're past the point where you can skate free and no one will ever notice. They're going to ask. They're going to force you to act, whether it is at work, whether it is at school, whether it is on social media. You're going to have to post something. You're going to have to say something. You're going to have to declare something. And either you lie and say you don't believe in Jesus or you tell the truth and risk whatever punishment that is. We're getting to a point where this is going to be the reality and you have to decide now what you're going to do because when it comes, I hope you have the courage to stand up. A couple more things from this article before we finish today. So Alex Claire Young, I'm just going to read this part and it's kind of a funny part. Eh, not funny. It's just, anyway, I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about it. Alex Claire Young, a non-binary minister in the United Reformed Church, whether, I'm sorry, let me start that again because I, I butchered that sentence terribly. So this interviewer in the Atlantic article, article is interviewing Alex Claire Young, a non-binary minister in the United Reformed Church, whether their faith or their gender was more surprising to G Generation Z people. So in other words, the question is, are you more condemned for being of an LGBTQAIP or are you more condemned for being a Christian? Right? There's, there's problems with this issue, but this is the question. The answer is, quote, I know a lot of LGBTQ plus young people who say it's harder to come out as a Christian in an LGBTQ space than an LGBT in a Christian space. So think about that for a moment. If that's the reality, and this is, this is what this article claims, I have no other information to deal with that other than it seems like that's the case. It's more dangerous to be a Christian than it is to be LGBT. And even as this references, though the church often gets the other reputation that LGBT people are not welcome and we hate them and whatever, which is not true, by the way. I don't hate anybody. I just want people to follow Jesus. And Jesus says there is a way and he is it. So if you want to be a Christian, it's clear how to do that. We all have issues. We all have sins. And we all have to deny ourselves and, and get rid of our sins. Um, so... It's not different for anybody. It's just, are you willing to do that or are you not? And, and that same question is asked of literally everyone who follows Jesus. We, we all are the same in that. And we all have to give up things that are part of who we think we are to become who we really are. That's the reality of this. But this article is saying, if you are LGBT, it's actually harder to say, well, I also believe in Jesus. I also am a Christian. That's harder than going to a church and saying I'm LGBT. That's a very interesting statement, if you ask me. All right. Uh, do I want to say one more thing here? Um, no, I'm going to skip the rest of this, but it is an interesting article nonetheless. So let's, let's get down to the bottom of this. I've talked for enough today, I think. I think where we need to leave this is there is a new religion that has taken over this culture. It is the spirit of the age. It's the religion of the age. It's the religion of the day. If you are a reader and have spent any time in theology, it's the zeitgeist. To use a funny German word, this is the spirit of the day. This is where we live, that you have to follow the culture. 
you have to follow their religion. There are priests in their religion. There are catechisms in their religion. There are sins in their religion, whether original or otherwise. But there is no forgiveness. There is no grace. There is no mercy. And that is where Christianity, for many reasons, among others, is much superior because there is forgiveness. And there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ and through him alone, through Christ crucified. And we need to turn to him. We need to die to ourselves, regardless of what your sin issue is, regardless of what your background is, regardless of what you came from. Think about Paul. Paul was literally a murderer, I think. And all, all history points to that. And yet he was accepted and empowered by God to lead and start churches all over the known world at the time. And we still read from him in most of the New Testament today. You are not beyond saving. God cares for you and wants you to connect with him. But you have to make that choice. Do you want to or do you not? And I can't do that for you. No one can do that for you. you got to decide for yourself what you want to do. And this whole idea that there are different levels and you can't have you have to be a certain way and you have to be a certain color and you have to be a certain education and you have to be a certain blah, 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 whatever. That's just unbiblical. And we need to stand up against that. We need to, with kindness, present the actual gospel. When Paul says in Galatians 3, there's neither slave nor free or Jew or Greek or male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. We need to act like that's actually true. We need to live like that in our everyday. And we need to present the gospel everywhere we can, using words and using acts of kindness. We need to live like that in everything that we have and everything that we do, and I hope that you can do that. Hopefully, this has helped you, and if it has, give it a like, give it a share, give it a subscribe, just because that helps it gain some traction, and if you want to send this to somebody, feel free. I'm just trying to get the word out. This is not about me. Uh, Yeah, I, I just hope that this is helpful. I hope that you grow in your faith as you seek after God day by day, as you open this book, because this is the word of God. Um, In another area of my life, I'm looking through the five solas, um, which if you don't know what they mean, don't worry about it. Uh, But, but, and I I think if I have time, I'll do, I'll do a little expose on what those are, because what we need, I think, is more Bible. We need more people who are willing to stand up and be bold and be courageous with and for Jesus in everything that you do, in all the little things, in the big things, and be ready to stand up when this culture says no, when this culture is against you, just like they came against this Florida school. And they will come against you. If you stand up, all of a sudden you're going the other way. All of a sudden you're standing up from the crowd. All of a sudden you are a target. And that is how it works. That is how it has worked for 2,022 years. We have to figure out how we're going to live in this life and do small acts of courage so that when that big act of courage comes, we're able to do that as well. I do pray for you and I pray that God gives you boldness and clarity and wisdom as you seek after him with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. God bless you and keep you. And I hope that through all of this, you keep the faith. I'm Matt Odegaard and this is Church Public.